You're listening to So Connected, the podcast for people trying to cultivate joy, purpose, and community in their lives. I'm Sarah. And I'm Catherine. Today, we're going to talk about attachment-related childhood trauma. But first, let's check in on how it's going. Sarah, what are your highs and lows right now? My high right now is that I'm more than a third of the way through my 31-day purge project when we're recording this episode two weeks before it gets released. And even if I don't make it past this point, I'm just going to be proud of what I've done because like doing it every day is it's a lot. Um, it actually hasn't been too bad. Like we moved over a, to a new house just like a little over a year ago. So I purged before our move last year. And I try mm-hmm. to do some version of this like every other year or so I kind of get inspired and that makes it more manageable when I get back to doing it again. But it's just bizarre to me, like how much stuff builds up with the four of us living under one roof together. And I'm not even purging like my boy's stuff. And like, it's still just a lot that accumulates very quickly. I love that you're doing that and that it feels so life-giving to you. I've been watching some of the pictures on Instagram. My low right now is that Matt and I aren't feeling as close as we normally do. And I actually think it's related to the Purge Project, which is a little silly. But I think it's because I'm trying to fit this project on top of my regular work and the other stuff I already do. So I think it just makes me like not have as much time for him. Um, And especially like when I get really excited about something like that, I'm like, oh, Matt, you're old news. Like this is like new and exciting to me. And he also like hates it when I randomly ask him to do something for me in the middle of him doing something else. And that will happen from time to time because I'll kind of like need his input before I can move forward. And it feels really kind of urgent. So I will literally need like four minutes of his time. And then he's getting irritated with me for interrupting him. And I'm like, hey, I'm purging the entire house and all I need is for you to give me four minutes of your time at various points and you're getting irritated with me about that and so then I get irritated with him and then it kind of just causes little fissures in our um, connection and it's okay it's just something to be aware of and to try to you know get it back on track yeah I like your self-awareness around that and I also feel like I'm just trying to think about how you're doing that on top of everything else that you're doing like you're doing a lot trying to fit it all in one month seems hard What about you? What are your highs and lows right now, Catherine? So my high is just a high of anticipation. It's a Monday right now when we're recording this, and I have the next four days, the rest of this week, off work. Wow. I know. I'm very excited. I have uh, my spiritual direction class, intensive class, in the afternoons these four days, and then I just have the mornings to myself. So I planned like a personal retreat, and I'm going to go for a hike and do some stuff because The holiday being at home time was not particularly rejuvenating. It was a whole lot of parenting and also sickness. So I'm really excited that I'm doing this because I have never done like a multi-day retreat for myself. So I'm really looking forward to it. That sounds so nice. I wish all of us would just take all of our paid time off like every year. We should all use all of our time. I am really looking forward to it. And I, I took a tip from um, the Lazy Genius podcast on how to plan a personal retreat. And one of her pieces of advice was do things that make you feel like yourself. And so that's been kind of my litmus test for what I'm going to allow myself to do and not do during this time. So really excited about that. 
I love that litmus test. Man, my brain is racing. I don't even know what I would what mine would be. I love that. And then my low has been, I just kind of alluded to it over the the like the second week of the Christmas holiday. Parenting has just felt so hard. I I was sick for several days between Christmas and New Year's, and I think that just like set like a whole range of things in motion where like Nathan was having to do all the parenting and then I was feeling like I needed to catch up and the house got messy and then um, we just kind of all felt I think like a little bit trapped during that time because I was sick and then the girls each got sick and so we like kind of weren't able to get out and then with COVID the numbers being crazy again we're like uncertain if school is going to go virtual again so that's been causing some stress. Sydney has been super interested in guns and just talking about them all the time and like wanting a gun themed birthday party. And that is like, I don't even know. It sounds funny, except when it's in your house. I don't even know how to like support her. She doesn't seem to understand how dangerous they are. So that's been like a really hard situation to try to navigate. And then I think I've realized the last couple of days that Part of it might be the kids, but I think a lot of it is me. Like I'm feeling some like pandemic fatigue of like being back in this place with COVID being stressful again. And so I need to I'm really, really thinking that this retreat is hopefully coming at a good time for me to sort of just like be able to recharge, do some stuff around the house, have some time by myself, um, and hopefully be able to be more present with my kids by the time I'm done with some alone time. I'm sorry I'm laughing during your low section. That's just like the epitome of rude. But I think I'm just, it's resonating with me so deeply, just like the struggles. And I feel like the amount of work that it takes right now, like just to reach equal equilibrium is like so much. So much. And then like by the time, if you put it, if you truly put in all that work to get to equilibrium, then you get to equilibrium, but you're exhausted. So then it's like not really equilibrium. Like it's a lot. Yes. The world is a lot right now. You're not alone, friends. You're not alone. Thanks for sharing that so vulnerably. Now let's talk about today's topic. We've talked a little bit about this before and how we are both on journeys to heal from attachment-related childhood trauma. In today's episode, we're going to dig a little deeper and share what we've learned so far on our journeys. So Sarah, let's start with this question. How do you just just to create some framing, how do you understand sort of the phrase attachment trauma? I understand like that so much of our lives boils down to our connection with other people. And so much of this is like simply evolutionary because we are creatures who can't survive on our own. So we have this primordial, I never know how to say that word, primordial need to be in community, to feel attached, like to feel safe, to feel secure. And that connection or attachment like starts right from the beginning of our lives. Like when we come out, like we're basically like so undeveloped compared to other mammals because our brains end up getting so big. And so we're so dependent upon the people around us. And our first relationship with our caregivers and the environment that we're in is just so very important. And there's this really delicate balance, I think, that is ideal for human flourishing. Like you want like not too little attachment, but you develop a lack of trust in the world around you and a whole host of like really other negative attributes, but also not too much attachment that you have this codependent 
relationship with other people and don't trust your own independence and your own competence. Um, I think it's a lot easier to err on the side of not enough attachment than too much attachment, but it is kind of like a balance in the middle. Uh, Trauma, in my understanding, usually comes from not enough of a secure attachment and when like when you don't feel safe or you feel like you can't trust in your surroundings and it can really impact everything from how you see the world, how you interpret what's happening, how you do or do not regulate your emotions, how you handle conflict in relationships, how you form relationships, like who you're attracted to, like the list just goes on and on. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of, I always hate when you start with me because I'm like, you know more about this than I do, Catherine. Um, but that's kind of how I think about it. And, um, as a side note, I, you know, whenever I read or learn about how early attachment is so, so important, I kind of start to panic because I was working so much in the early days of my children's childhoods to launch a school and a nonprofit organization. And I just really worry about my attachment and connection and what it was like with with my children, uh, especially because, you know, Henry has issues now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, did I, to what extent was I causing those issues? Um, but I also have to really focus on the fact that children are incredibly resilient and you don't have to be the perfect parent to get attachment right. Um, And I also know that with this stuff, like trying to get it right is half the battle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And thanks so much for sharing. So honestly about how it kind of shows up in your parenting, I think, yeah, it can be so hard. I think the great news is there, there is that like our like neuroplasticity comes in to save the day because we can always heal and adjust and adapt and redo things that we didn't get right earlier on. Um, I want to go back to two of the things you said. One, I think it's like really interesting. You talked about humans as like, like mammals being born for connection and something I was listening to recently, which was talking about the polyvagal theory, which I've mentioned several times, um, was I just hadn't heard this particular framing before, but it was talking about how like before mammals, like everything was like fight, flight, freeze. Like these were the only responses we had in danger. But then with like mammals and the vagus nerve and like our threat response system, like connection is like a viable option for humans in a Mm. way that it hasn't been for other kinds of animals, which I just like that idea of like what to do when we're in danger is like to go for connection. Like yeah, that as an evolutionary feature was just like super interesting. So Wanted to share that. And then um, on the codependence thing, I think that's really interesting because that's something I feel like my thinking has like shifted so much. I think when I was like initially exposed to Montessori and like thinking about independence and like viewing children as like humans in the making that are becoming independent, um, I thought I like really prioritized independence. And when my kids were young, like I really, really, really prioritized independence, opportunities for independence so much. And I think I've like swung way kind of almost to the other side on that now of thinking that like codependence is actually created when parents try to get their kids to take care of them, which shouldn't be the situation that your kids shouldn't be emotionally taking care of you as the adult. And 
like that kids gain independence from being in safe relationship. Like only once they're like nurtured and held well, do they then feel safe enough to go out and have those independent explorations. Um, and I might totally be wrong about that, but it's been, it's been, I think that's like, that's such a constant, like, where's the right answer on that? So I've really grappled with that too. What about you, Catherine? How do you understand attachment trauma? So, I mean, I think I agree with a lot of what you said, but I think um, something that's helpful for me to think about, and I think I mentioned this before too, is that like the way I understand how a traumatic event becomes traumatizing is when there's a situation that is so overwhelming that it sort of like outpaces our resources or abilities to be able to cope with it. And when that goes that goes on, like, and sometimes we can run away, the fight, flight, freeze, connect options come in, right, to help us get that back to where it's like level again. But when that doesn't happen, and it goes on for a long time, that's when like a traumatic event becomes traumatizing. And so when you're thinking about that in the form of attachment trauma, it's related to our early formative attachment relationships with our primary caregivers. And it can be like attachment trauma can be can involve physical or sexual abuse, but it doesn't have to. And I think when there's physical or sexual abuse, there's also always psychological or emotional abuse, but it can also just be on the psychological and emotional side. So it can be deficient nurturance that we don't have people that are safe or protective or offering us guidance in childhood through supportive relationship. Um, like, you know, you get hurt and you go to a parent for comfort. Instead of offering comfort, you get scolded over and over again every time that happens. That kind of thing of just like not having that ongoing love can create a traumatic experience because your body isn't able to cope with what's happening. Um, it can also be inadequate protection from dangerous situations or people. So it can be kind of a variety of different things where you're just not getting that like safety and nurturance and connection in childhood. And it's like amazing to look at the research on this and how that kind of like psychological and emotional abuse can act or just even like living in a state of constant fear or chaos or rejection or abandonment has like these long term repercussions on our physical and emotional like our body like our body health. Like um, if you look at the ACEs study, we can link that in here, but it's like 10 different indicator or there are 10 different indicators of things that happen before you turn 18. And like, if you have a certain number of them, like your percent, your chances of heart disease, like skyrockets. It's really amazing to see sort of like that physiological connection to um, different forms of abuse in childhood. Yeah. All of that makes a ton of sense. And when you were talking about like whether you can, whether you have the resources to cope with something as it's happening, it reminded me of this interesting situation that happened um, on our playground in the after-school program. Like a child fell and like really like it probably broke a bone, and this adult like very quickly just like ran to her. We were waiting for the ambulance to come, ran to her, and um, embraced her in like a very supportive way, and was just like whispering. Um, really helpful and encouraging things into her ear because she had just read a book about like how do you experience trauma. I mean, I don't mean to de- be sound dismissive of the kinds of traumas you were just talking about, but this idea of like how do you 
help support someone with bring coming up alongside them with resources to support them through this processing and mm-hmm. then this ultimate like release, right? Because like it, that's where this childhood trauma can really build up is when you can't you're left alone, you can't cope with it, you can't release it, um, and then it and then it has these long lasting effects that you're talking about. Yeah, you have to be able to metabolize it as it goes mm-hmm. almost. Um, I. Ruby Payne has this quote that's like she she asks kids who like who are the top two people that care about them in their life and if the kid says like a stuffed animal or a pet or like somebody they met really far away one time that they never see on a regular basis like that's when she's immediately like I try to find a teacher who can spend three to five minutes a day with that kid just Mm. processing their life. And I was like, oh, that's so good. That's so good. Because it can be even just those small moments of connection that can have such a huge impact on kids that are going through hard things. Yeah. Okay. So now for our next question. Um, Sarah, what made you realize that you had trauma healing work to do in your own life? In my early 20s, a colleague of mine helped me understand the relationship between being abandoned by my father and being an overachiever in life. Um, She helped me to see that like I was so much Mm -hmm. of my achievement orientation Mm -hmm. was connected to trying to prove prove my worthiness in the world because my father not having him in my life and never having met him like that planted that seed of unworthiness in me Um, and that was a really helpful uh, way to understand myself to understand my past to understand that I have a locus of control of understanding myself and not repeating certain patterns. And those conversations really helped put me on a path toward making sure that the things I do in my life are coming from a place of authentically filling my soul and not just trying to prove my worthiness to the world. Um, and I think we've we've talked a lot in our podcast about like listening to yourself, being true to yourself and like that really was the pivotal moment for me being able to do that because of that conversation. Um, but the real realization about sort of the extent of my trauma came like more than a decade later. Like I was having, this is, I had two kids, built a house, I had a one-year-old, three-year-old, built a house, built a school, and I was having problems at work. And I went to a therapeutic assessment therapy practice. It was recommended to me by my friend who is a therapist, and she thought that this particular approach would really suit me well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an approach where you bring a set of questions, you're hoping to get answered in your life, and then the therapist gives you a series of assessments, which I love. I love a good like yeah. Teen Vogue quiz. Um, and then you talk through the results together, and you co-construct answers to the questions, which of course end up helping you understand yourself in in much bigger ways. And so he helped me realize that the unpredictability of my childhood, like it wasn't any particular, like it it wasn't like a compromised relationship with my mother, but just the unpredictability of my childhood was really traumatizing to me. Like I had different stepfathers in my life and we moved pretty regularly. And so it really stripped me of a sense of control and trust in my surroundings. And so he really helped me kind of see that my need for control now comes from the lack of control that I had as a child. 
Wow, I love like that idea of like the you said like the seeds of unworthiness and like how really coming to terms with that is what allowed you to be able to live authentically into your life. I think that's like I feel like that is like kind of like the axial moment of so much of the healing work is like admitting this finding and admitting this the way in which this sense of unworthiness is actually there inside of us. Because I think those attachment relationships, like kids deserve to have primary caregivers who are like reflecting their worthiness to them constantly. And when that doesn't happen when you're really little, um, it could just like, and then there's a whole lot of striving that happens on top of it and achievement that happens on top of it. It can get kind of lost. So that's beautiful. And I'm, I'm grateful that you shared a little bit about your journey. Thank you. What about you? What made you realize you had trauma healing work to do in your own life, Catherine? So actually very similar to you. Like I had an experience in in my young adult life where I was talking to a group of people at a church that I was involved with and I mentioned like depression and suicidality in my childhood. And then I kind of just like breezed over it and said that I'd outgrown that and that like things felt fine at that point in my life. And I didn't know that there was any like lingering, st- like I, I just thought you can outgrow um, really adverse childhood experiences. And someone came up to me afterward and asked like if I'd had, if I'd done therapy or like processed any of that. And I was like, no, like I've just outgrown it. Like I'm good. And so I kind of like, I think, I think that was kind of like the first glimpse of like knowing like as you say that there was like a trauma capsule there that needed to be processed um but it wasn't until a lot of years later I had like this work burnout kind of situation um and I just really felt like brain fog lack of emotion just really numb like classic burnout symptoms but then I changed jobs and the burnout didn't go away we've talked about this before Um, So I went to therapy for the first time in my adult life and I started talking about the work stuff and like I had no response, like just nothing came up at all. But then I would start talking like the therapist whenever we talked about my childhood or about parenting my kids, like I just sobbed uncontrollably without knowing why. And so the therapist was like, we need to follow those tears. So we followed those tears through a long and winding journey of like really me going back into my childhood and exploring a lot of the moments where I did feel really alone and depressed and um, sort of emotionally abandoned and Mm -hmm. being able to sort of like process that and then come out of it exactly like what you're saying. Like I think knowing the depths of our sorrow and our brokenness like increases our capacity for joy and for just like being human so I think my life now actually feels like qualitatively so much richer it was almost like I was living on the circumference of my life for my whole life and then suddenly like just very performative and very like um just like very in like very much in my head because like the more emotional parts felt scary and dangerous and like I might be alone but I didn't know that because I had not like encountered the seeds of unworthiness but once I went through all of that then I just have felt so much more able to live a richer and more authentic life full of both joy and also being able to embrace my pain and the pain of others and so super grateful for the work still more to do but 
um, really grateful to have realized that there was all of this that I needed to unpack. And I, I don't know if it's my trauma response, like coming into play, like I tend to be really resilient and optimistic and like look for the bright side of the situation. But I'm just like so hopeful when I hear your story. I just think it's so beautiful that we can have these sort of chance encounters with people in our lives and that they can then impact us to then go on to these really life-changing and life-altering journeys. Like that's really inspiring. Um, I'm grateful to that, that person who crossed your path. So now for our next question, how has or how does the trauma from your childhood impact the relationships in your adult life? Hmm, so much, Catherine. I started talking about it a little in my previous answer, but basically my lack of control in childhood really set me up now to try to control everything as an adult. And I especially need to control things and other people if I'm feeling really stressed or anxious or uncertain, um, which is not great during COVID. So unfortunately, it shows up all the time, like in my relationship with Matt and my relationships with the people I manage and my relationship with my children. And I've been working on it in a really concerted way for several years. And so I've been learning a ton Um, My therapist helps me unpack the trauma capsule part, and then I work with a leadership coach also who helps me look at everything, how it's impacting me through a professional lens. And then COVID has just like, like I was, I was making a lot of progress and then COVID Mm -hmm. like added some additional obstacles, which is the unpredictability in our lives. Um, Right now, I find myself to be in a pretty hyper control phase. Um, We've talked about all the paid professionals that I have in my life. I'm going to Reiki and therapy and acupuncture. Like I see those all as forms of control. And like I've, I've planned out my entire spring so that I have a couple of things to look forward to every single month. Um, And I'm like, and all of them, nearly all of them are outside so that COVID cannot thwart my plans. Mm. Um, So I'm I'm kind of waiting to get through COVID to parse out, like, what are the types of control that I'm able to release now that COVID has, you know, made life a a little more, now that COVID isn't making life so unpredictable. Um, But in the meantime, I'm really just not giving myself too much grief about all the things I'm doing to control myself and my life, but I'm focusing on running my family in a democratic way and trying to release control whenever there's a parenting issue that isn't truly connected to health and safety. And I try not to control my children. I think it's like so interesting to hear you talk about this because I feel like you're process towards healing has been really different than mine because I feel like you have so much awareness around like your trauma responses and I didn't really like get any of that until I'd like gone all the way into what I hope was the very bottom of the trauma capsule and then like suddenly I started realizing these things about myself and like all these things that I had done my whole life made sense to me but I had just like never realized it so um, I think it's it's interesting that there are like kind of different approaches in different ways but I'm curious to know from you about the like control and the planning like because I feel like your your capacity 
as like an organized planner of things like adds a lot of value to the world and to your work and to the way you engage and the way that you enjoy things with your family. And so I think that's where it feels tricky for me of like how much of this is my personality and how much is related to trauma and how much of this is like great. And I'm grateful that I had these survival skills that were so adaptive and beautiful and I want to carry this forward with me. So I wonder if you could just say a little bit about, (laughs) I mean, I'm just like, I'm just like highlighting it. I'm highlighting it with a highlighter. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Like, like you, you just named the, the questions and thoughts that are in my head constantly. Um, I mean, that's basically, that's basically it. Is yeah. there? It's it is all. This is where I was kind of getting it. Like the two sides of the coin thing is like my greatest strengths are my greatest areas for growth, and you know this is we've talked before about how I'm really good if a friend needs help solving a problem. I'm not great if they just need a shoulder to cry on. I try to be, but I'm much better at the problem solving. And like, how much do I keep trying to like change and strengthen my areas for growth versus just be like, this is who I am. Um, so I, I'm really, what I try to do now is like follow the moments of tension, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't really, like we're on a roll right now with like planning fun back, a backyard movie night and like executing that. And it like, it goes well and it's fun. So like, I, I just like, I'm letting those things be, but it's the like, I'm doing this 31 day purge. And now my relationship with Matt is getting complicated. So let me like stop for a moment and like figure out what's going on. What adjustments do I need to make? Like where where is my control like causing tension and getting in the way of my life instead of helping my life? Yeah, that pause seems really healthy and, and helpful. Hopefully. What about you, Catherine? How or how how has or does your trauma from your childhood impact the relationships in your life as an adult? So I thought about this kind of in three buckets: my partnership with Nithin, my friendships, and then my parenting life. So on the Nithin front, like I think I'm so lucky here because I feel like a lot of people that have childhood trauma pick a partner that recreates the dynamics of their childhood which I did not do. I think I definitely married him because he felt emotionally like he's a little bit more removed. And I think that felt like less dangerous. And there's probably something to that. Like I think as I've healed, like he's also kind of like gradually, like our relationship has become more emotionally intimate. Um, And so I think he's been able to kind of deepen, but I think that is more of just like the cultural expectations around men not having feelings. Um, so it's been really beautiful actually to see him like deepen in his emotional life, um, since we've been together. So really lucky on that front. Cause I, I want to just acknowledge that for a lot of people, when you marry into a situation where it sort of perpetuates the cycles that were part of your childhood, it, it can be really hard to do the healing work when you're still in those kinds of cycles. So that mm-hmm. has been just really, really, I think, lucky or a blessing, some kind of, I don't know. Um, On the friendship front, like before I did the work in therapy, I would say my friendships were very like logistical, intellectual, like stage of life. Like I had friends that were like had young kids or like whatever sort of stage of life I was in. Um, And I really didn't want 
to like talk to them about the problems in my life or about feelings or about anything that wasn't just like day-to-day surface level. And part of it was I wasn't myself in those deeper parts of my own experience to be able to have conversations with them like that. But it was like, it felt, everything felt very surface level. And so as I've kind of like deepened in my experience of myself, I've really had to kind of like recalibrate some of the relationships in my life. And I've definitely felt like kind of lonely in ways as I've done that because I've been kind of trying to figure out like who are the people that I want to have like on this inner circle and who are the people that you know maybe my relationship with them is shifting now because my priorities are different as I'm more authentic in my life Um, and where are the places where I'm going to kind of take more risks and have deeper more connected friendships so that sort of like navigating that whole process has really been a process of transformation because it had definitely impacted the level of relationship that I was willing to have my childhood had in friendships. Um, And hopefully now that I'm on the side of the healing work, it's going to go deeper. Um, And then the last one is with the parenting. Like I talked about this a little bit in my highs and my low today, but I'm just like, I feel like I've come a long way on being able to handle my kids' emotions um, in need for connection without myself feeling distressed. But Early on in my parenting, I think I was like literally numb. Like I didn't respond to my kids emotionally because I just like had to numb that out because their distress felt so overwhelming to me. And then it got really chaotic for a while when I first started doing the therapy work. And now I can really be present with them without getting reactive the majority of the time. And that is just so different. Like I used to yell at them and I used to like, get so easily upset by them and now to be able to really just like stay with them and be with them and be like and acknowledge acknowledge their feelings oh I'm really sorry you're having a hard time with this or oh I'm really sorry this is so hard I can see that you're really upset um you know I think that that has been a huge shift in our parenting and it feels so much more like a authentic relationship with my kids instead of me just trying to like control them or to demand compliance out of them and so I've that's probably like one of the most valuable things for me in this whole process has been just being able to show up for my kids in a different way than the way that I was parented I love that I still I feel like you're eons ahead of me in that area it's really inspiring to hear I don't know about that here we are we're all doing the work Okay, so for our final question, what have been the top three resources for you on your journey so far that you would recommend for others? Therapeutic assessment, which I mentioned before, I think that was the reason why you talked about how I, I was able to like understand the framework of my trauma mm-hmm. and like what it what it caused me, what kind of coping mechanisms it caused me to develop, and then how those coping mechanisms show up for better and worse in my life, like that's because of the therapeutic assessment process. It's very intellectual and it's very fast for dissecting like what's going on, why is it going on? And like I had this like report, you know, and we worked together Mm. in like two months and then I had, I basically, I wrote the report first because he was dragging his feet on writing the report. I love you, Leonel. Um, he knows he hates writing the reports. So I wrote, drafted it and I was like, this is what I think we're like coming to. And so 
then he ended up writing his own report. But it was like a very coherent and fast way to Mm -hmm. kind of put the puzzle pieces together, which I loved. Um, There's also a book called 365 Days of Conscious Living. And like this was a book I came to in my 20s when I was on that journey. And I think this is one of the reasons why I've just taken a lot of personal responsibility for like I can't control what has what happened to me in the past. I can't even control what happens to me in the future. But like I am responsible for how I'm going to choose to respond to it. And th- that kind of proactivity I think is a form of conscious living. Um, and I find that book to be very helpful because each section is very short. And then the third one is this Reiki because, you know, therapeutic assessment, like I said, was a very um, intellectual process. And I have, I I see staying in my head as a trauma response, as you were saying earlier. So I tried to do more somatic type therapies, which really like have not worked. I ended up going back to my very intellectual French therapist because I'm like, I can't Mm -hmm. handle all this like oh, what's your body doing right now? Like I couldn't take it. Yeah. Yeah. But I knew I needed something to like get in my body and connect with my body. So Reiki has been really good for that mind and body connection and for giving me more connection to spirituality and to the universe and to be like a really good bridge between my therapy work and my leadership coaching. It's like she kind of helps me put it all together in more grounded ways, which I appreciate. Thanks for those tips. I feel like those are all great suggestions. What about you? What are your top three? My, I've got kind of like two groups here. So first, my suggestion for how to find a therapist would be to either use an internal family systems therapist or an EMDR therapist if you're planning on trying to go deep into complex childhood trauma. Um, those modalities are just really powerful for that particular um, issue for for complex PTSD. And I both will link in the show notes both of their um, like find a therapist. Each of the, each of those organizations have like a find a therapist feature, so we can put the links for those. Um, and then the second thing is just a couple of books, one for understanding just how trauma works and how embodied trauma responses are. Um, the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk is like sort of one of the premier pieces of work on this. It's a little bit denser and more scholarly. So just keep that in mind. If you pick that one that I just, another book that I just read by Bruce Perry and Oprah, they wrote a book called what happens to you. And it, I listened actually to the audiobook, and it was like a conversation between Oprah and Bruce Perry, and it was very accessible. So if you're like a therapist maybe, or I mean, not a therapist, if you're a teacher or something like that where you work with kids that have experienced trauma, like that would be probably the book that I would recommend. It's not as dense and a little bit more applicable. And then if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, there might be stuff in my childhood that I need to unpack, um, Complex PTSD by Pete Walker is like the best book for understanding these kinds of like trauma responses and like emotional flashbacks um, that we've kind of alluded to in this episode. So that would be a third book recommendation that I would like to make. And I'm specifically looking for a trauma healing retreat, like a weekend retreat or a half week, 
So if anyone knows of something that's affordable but also really effective, please let me know because I'm getting I'm kind of getting tired of like learning from books and online courses in COVID. So I'm looking for something like that. Yes, on site in Tennessee has a six day long trauma workshop and um, short term. So it's like a short term in person trauma healing retreat that I have heard recommended by some people personally and that I have looked into myself but not not gone to. But if I was going to do something, that is where I am thinking that I would want to cool. go. So we'll put that in the notes. And if somebody else knows okay. of something else, by all means, please do recommend it. Very cool. I love that. Thank you. Okay. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning Woo! in. Yes, I know it feels like a lot right now. But um, I hope you know maybe this will resonate with some people and set them on their own journey. If you have any advice or tips or, or – um, you know, resources, listeners that you would like to recommend for attachment restoration work, we would love to hear from you. So now it's time to take a turn and go to our tips and tricks segment. Sarah, what do you want to share with us today? I want to share the practice of writing a letter to your children on their birthdays. I've been doing this since my children were in utero, but as they are now turning 11, one of them is turning 11, I'm realizing just like this the power and the beauty of like pushing yourself one at least once a year to sit down and to put into words like what you like about your children, right? Like I think it's – I think we do a lot to say like I love you and, and like we, we share kind words with our kids, but – there's just something so powerful about explicitly once a year stepping back and saying, what do I want to capture about this year? What do I want to say to my child? Um, and I just, I, I've been really appreciating it as they get older. And then I just print out like 10 to 15 pictures from the year and then just put that into um, their scrapbook along with their letter. And so I, I like this practice even more as they get older. I love that. I think that's so beautiful. What about you? What's yours? So Sydney got a heated blanket. We gave Sydney a heated blanket for Christmas. And then I got sick right after Christmas. And I had I didn't have COVID. I just had like a cold. But I had really bad body ache. And like laying on this heated blanket in the midst of this like chills and body ache situation was amazing. So I'm here to recommend the heated blanket experience. Do you lay on it or it lays on We got you? a twin size one so I could like wrap my whole body in the warmth of it. It was amazing. Okay, now let's close out our episode with Facing Forward. Sarah, how did you do on your intentions from the past two weeks and what new intentions do you want to set for yourself in the next two weeks? I moved forward on some awesomely awful stuff like my cash out refinance, getting uh, on track to fix the cabinet at our rental house and working on backyard improvements. We're going to get a little deck installed and a fire pit area and some flower beds like starting next week. It's all organized and I had to get the quotes and everything. Way to go. I'm glad it's done. Yeah, I'm feeling really energized, but it was not fun, but it's done. Uh, Not done, done, but in motion. And then in the next two weeks, I want to focus on finishing this purge if I can, if I can stay motivated. 
and then um, putting together uh, the playlist for my birthday party, dance party, dinner party. I want to have like the perfect song. So listeners, I would be so grateful if you would email soconnectedpodcast at gmail.com or post it on Instagram and just tell us like what song would inspire you to get up and dance at a dinner party. I have nothing for you. I love silence. (laughs) I'm so worried that other people are going to have your same. um, I've got like Call Me Maybe on the list, Kiss. I got uh, I Will Survive by Cake. Um, The Mountain Goats, like these are kind of depressing songs, but I think it's kind of a, maybe it's like a COVID dance party. There's a Mountain Goats song that's about how I'm going to make it through this year if it kills me. Um, But it's a really good dance song. Listeners, help Sarah out. (laughs) Apparently I need a lot of help. All right. What are yours? What are yours? Oh, I got so much done. So I did the pod yearbook. Finally, I got a haircut. Finally, I didn't enjoy the time off because I was sick and my kids were being crazy, but that was okay. I enjoyed the first part of the time off. I wrote the paper that I was supposed to write for my homework and I have been working on the holiday tradition list, almost done with that. So that's been great. Check, 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 check. The next two weeks, I'm going to savor this time off and this retreat. And then I am going to just try to figure out whatever I need to do to get back to a place where I feel more centered again. I feel like this test of like being able to enjoy being around my kids is like the test of like, am I doing okay? Mm -hmm. And so I need to figure, I need to kind Mm -hmm. of recalibrate and figure that out. We're all, we're all right there with you, my friends. Thanks for sharing. Well, that's it for this episode of So Connected. We'll be back in two weeks on Tuesday. In the meantime, you can find the show notes at SoConnectedPodcast.com and you can find us on Instagram at SoConnectedPodcast. You can find me, Sarah, on my blog at FeedingTheSoil.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be so grateful for your review on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word. See you in two weeks. Wishing you purpose, joy, and community between now and then.